Father, we thank you for your word to us last night that we are your daughters and we are your sons, that you love us and that you are pleased with us. And we pray that holding on to this, that we would welcome your words, your voice uh, spoken into all of our lives. And Father, especially this morning as we talk about our finances and as we talk about wealth and what we own, uh, what we possess. Father, even in this very sensitive area, we ask that you would speak uh, words of life and words of truth, words of love, and help us, Father, to be people who are very vigilant and careful when it comes to finances and also people who are so gracious and generous uh, as you have been to us. And so we pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. We again ask that your word would be alive and active uh, in each of our hearts, in each of our, in our own lives. And so with that, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. They say that when you're a guest speaker visiting another congregation, you should never talk about money, politics, and other controversial issues. I'm going to break that rule, and I'll be speaking on money. Uh, If we could have the first slide up. So this morning's message, Follow Jesus, and the title is Watch Out, and then Greed. And um, as we look at today's passage, we'll understand why uh, the title is so. I wanted to speak on money this morning and here at this retreat first because Jesus spoke very often about money. I also wanted to preach on money because Graceway is physically, geographically, socioeconomically in a setting where we need to hear from God about money. When we think about the people who are in real spiritual danger, when we think about those people, a lot of times we think about people and specific backgrounds. We think of people's religious backgrounds. It's those who are atheists. Uh, It's those who are hardened criminal. Uh, Those people are are in serious spiritual jeopardy. Next slide. Jesus has a different take. Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus levels his most serious spiritual warning towards one's financial standing. Look at that verse. He didn't say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a Muslim or an atheist to come to Christ, nor does he say than for a hardened criminal, a psychotic person, a criminal to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The most dangerous spiritual condition is not defined by one's behavior or ideology, not even by one's religion or the lack thereof. Next slide. According to Jesus, the most dangerous spiritual condition is defined by one's financial condition. 
Jesus levels the most serious warning at our finances. And so as a church, we need to pay attention because, next slide, according to Jesus' words then, the New Jersey area is one of the most spiritually dangerous places on earth. If it's true that your wealth can jeopardize your spiritual condition, then many of us here are at highest risk because you guys live in some of the richest counties and cities in the country. I did research on you guys. I googled you. According to 2018 statistics, the richest counties, and I have no idea whether you live in these places or they're far up north or south, wherever, uh, the richest counties here are in Hunterdon, Monmouth, Bergen, Morris, Essex, Somerset, each averaging $150,000 to $190,000 in income per household. And so living in the New Jersey area is where we're at the spiritually the highest risk in the world. And we need to hear what God has to say. So we're going to begin by reading our passage from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If we could have the next slide up of the passage. Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Uh, The version I'm reading from with this message is from the ESV, um, but you could follow along in whatever translation. And um, the small group's questions are based off of this sermon, so if if you have a pen, please take notes. There'll, There'll be a lot of information here. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, or in some translations, greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This passage begins with Jesus speaking to a large crowd of people. Several chapters earlier, we had an account where Jesus was speaking to about 15,000 men, women, and children. And so this is most likely even a, a crowd that size or even larger. And someone in the crowd asks Jesus to settle an inheritance dispute with their brother. Now, we're reading this and we're saying that is such a strange request. In front of 15,000 people and you're asking financial advice or questions. And the reason why it is not strange and out of place is because Jesus spoke often about money and finances. You see, Jesus talked about money more than he did about heaven and hell combined. He talked about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. 
11 of 39 parables dealt with money. One commentator pointed out that on average, one of every seven verses in the book of Luke spoke about money. Jesus spoke a lot about money. And so this person in the crowd tells Jesus, I have a money problem. I don't have enough money. And Jesus basically turns to him and says, you do have a money problem. And it's not that you don't have enough money. It's that money has too much of you. And here Jesus would begin his teaching on money and greed. What does he say? Well, he's going to start talking to us, telling us that greed is not defined by what something costs. Greed is defined by what something costs you. It's not that you consume something, but that that thing consumes you. So look with me, next slide, at verse 15. Jesus says in verse 15, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, or as the NIV says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, Jesus sees what we don't see. Next slide. And it's that greed blinds us. So just as you would shout, watch out for that that car, that car coming down the, the street towards you, or watch out for the edge of the cliff, Jesus shouts with the highest urgency because he knows what greed does to us. Greed blinds us. Next slide. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, Jesus teaches. In verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Next verse. Look carefully at this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then verse 24, he's talking again about money. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That whole passage, even though it's talking about this thing about eye and and darkness and light, is actually all about finances. For Jesus, there's something about greed that darkens the eye. What does that mean? Well, that means that here in this room, there's light. So if it takes the light in, if your eye is healthy and it takes the light in, then you will, in a sense, be in light because your body is able to navigate through this room as if that there's light because it goes in through the eye. You'll see the rows of chairs. You'll see the aisle. You'll see things so that you won't stumble and fall. But if your eye isn't working, even though there's light here in the rest of the room, if your eye is not working, then your body, your whole body is, in a sense, in darkness. If your eye is not working, the rest of your body can't take in light. And your whole body is in darkness. Whether or not this room is flooded with light, it doesn't matter. Jesus is saying there's something about the sin of greed that blinds you. It's what we would call an eye sin. 
Listen to this story from uh, Pastor Tim Keller. Keller writes, Some years ago, my wife Kathy noticed I was doing a series of monthly morning breakfasts on the seven deadly sins. The seven, seven deadly sins include lust, pride, envy, anger, and so forth. And of course, one of the seven deadly sins is greed. And Kathy asked, are they advertising these things? And I said, yes, they're advertising. And she said, so they'll know the month you're speaking, speaking on greed? And I said, right. And she said, watch, the attendance is going to drop. They're not going to come out to hear about greed. And she was right. It was the least attended of all of them. Why? It's not that they were hostile. It's not that people said, that's a terrible idea. I don't want to hear about greed. No. Everybody was just so sure it wasn't true of them. Greed is different from other sins. This is why Jesus says this is an eye sin. Greed darkens your eye spiritual. All other sins, you know you're guilty. You know when you murder someone. You know when you hate someone. You know when you have an affair with someone who's not your spouse. But Jesus has to say, watch out. You're greedy and you don't know it. Greed hides itself. It blinds you in a way that adultery or theft or anger, it it blinds you in a way that those other sins don't. Over my 20 years as a pastor... I've never, I've had people talk to me about every sin um, and confess openly and and we would talk and and share, but I don't remember anyone coming to me and saying, Pastor John, can I meet with you? I struggle a lot with greed. I never confessed to my accountability group, um, pray for me, I'm struggling with greed. This is why Jesus cries out, Watch out. Be on your guard. It's a sin of the eye. It darkens your eye and it blinds you. To warn us against greed, Jesus begins to explain how greed blinds us. And he tells a story in Luke chapter 12 about a man whose farmland produces a rich harvest. This man is a hard worker. He's shrewd, honest, wise, skilled in what he does. He's not lazy. He's not a corrupt thief. He's an industrious entrepreneur entrepreneur right here from the New Jersey area, right? And by the way, Jesus does not criticize him for the amount of his wealth or for his affluence. Jesus doesn't mention that. But his eye is darkened and he's blinded in greed. And in his greed, he's deceived. So let's continue with Jesus' story about this man. Verse 17, next slide. And he thought to himself... Literally, the Greek says he spoke to his soul. And he says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And here's the first lie. And the first way that greed blinds us. Next slide. Greed blinds us where we believe the more I have, the more I think it's mine. 
Greed makes us think that we own everything, and instead of regarding everything as belonging to God, we say they belong to me. These things belong to me. So look with me again. Next slide. Look with me at what this man is saying. He's saying, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, and he's not even speaking to God. He's speaking to himself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Just look at that. All those eyes and all those mys. This is all mine. And the more I believe it's mine. And it makes sense. It makes sense why this person would say this. When you have a checking account of 20 bucks, it is a speck of your time, your energy, your work. But when you have a checking account of $200,000, it's all your years of hard work, all your years of schooling, all your years of training, all your years of... It's blood, sweat, and tears of countless hours of projects, deadlines, stress, travel. In other words, in that $200,000, there's more of you in it There's more of you that you've accumulated and saved up and greed blinds you and makes you believe it is mine. There was a study done on giving among churches in the Midwest. The study said that the poorest fifth of the church members gave an average of 3.4% of their income while the wealthiest fifth gave 1.6, less than half as much. The richer you get, the study said at the end, the richer you get, the less you give because you start thinking everything you've accumulated belongs to you. The more you have, the more it feels like a sacrifice to give because the more you believe you're entitled to it and that it belongs to you. Greed blinds us into believing that the more I have, the more it's mine. But greed doesn't stop there. Greed blinds us even more. Next slide. Greed blinds us into thinking that the more I have, the happier I'll be. We believe that in having more, we will truly be happy. And so, next slide, verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. All of us look for greener pastures to wish for better circumstances an easier life, and we think to ourselves, if only I had a better job, a nicer house, a newer car, a newer laptop and phone, I would be happy. And it seems logical. According to this logic then, people in the U.S. should be among the happiest people on earth. We enjoy greater wealth per capita than most countries in the world. We have opportunity for education, medical care, home ownership, car ownership, food availability, freedoms, and so on. But a 2012 Gallup poll ranked the United States 33rd in the world on happiness scale. Having more does not increase our happiness. In fact, seven of the top happiest countries were in Latin America, 
which generally ranks low on the economic indicators. Panama ranked 90th in the world with respect to their GDP per capita. But at the same time, they were, Panama is the happiest country in the world. Many of the highest ranked countries in the world economically were the least ranked to report positive emotions or happiness. Here's the result of that Gallup poll. More money does not equal more happiness. Jesus didn't have money, and yet he lived the happiest, most fulfilled life on earth because his joy was not on things and on what he owned, but his joy was in the Father. Greed blinds us into believing that the more I have, the happier I'll be. Next slide. And it doesn't stop there. Greed blinds us again into thinking that the more I have, the more control I'll have over my future. When I started working um, after grad school, all my income went towards paying off my loans. Uh, I had a car loan and a student loan. I basically ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches pretty much until we paid off our car loan. But I really didn't plan ahead because I had no money. I mean, why would I plan ahead if, if I have so, so little in the checking account? I didn't plan, but all I did was I prayed. I prayed, God, protect me for a car, from a car accident <laughs> because I won't be able to pay the deductible. But then after paying off my car loan, I had breathing room. Then I started to accumulate my earnings, and my checking account grew, and then I started planning ahead ambitiously, and I started to think that I was in control over my future. Next slide. This is what this man did as well. Look with me at verse 17. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. There's something about money that makes us believe that we're in control. You plan more. You pray a lot less. When I don't have much, I pray a lot more. I plan less. When the Israelites were in the desert, they were given manna every day of the week, six days a week, and God designed it so that they would never be able to save for the next day. They just had enough for that day to show that they don't live by manna alone, but by God's promises for each day. And they were filled with prayer and promises, not so much plans. They didn't have much to plan through. It's not wrong, by the way, it is not wrong to save. But it's wrong to believe that in saving, we can save ourselves and our future. It's not wrong to save, but it's wrong to believe that in saving, we save ourselves and our future. And so now you have this farmer towards the end of the story. He's blinded by his greed where he believes that he's in control over his future. 
He's gone through a cost-benefit analysis towards expansion. He's gone over all the year-end projections. He's covered every contingency, and he reasons that when the payday comes, when he's gone through this enormous effort and expansion, he says to himself, finally, I'll have all that I longed for. I'll know my worth because I'll gain the highest status. I'll drive the most luxurious cars, live in the nicest homes and neighborhoods. I'll enjoy the greatest vacations and travels. And he no more finishes that thought when suddenly he feels this tightening sensation in his chest. Quickly, the pain and tightness shoots to his shoulders and his neck and even his jaw. He tries to stand up. He can't stand. He can't speak. And his body slumps lifelessly over his desk. Next slide. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And in our passage, God gives, and I I believe it might be the only time, God gives the eulogy over this man's life, and he calls him a fool. This is the only time, at least that I know of, where God calls a man a fool in the Bible. And this man was not a junkie or an addict. He was not a lazy bum who squandered his time and opportunity. He was a shrewd, hardworking, successful entrepreneur. He graduated from Harvard Business School, but he was a fool. He was a fool not because of his affluence. There are many people in the Bible who are affluent and yet live godly lives. According to Jesus, a fool is someone who lives with no thought of God. No thought of God's activity in their life in this world. And so Jesus isn't criticizing his affluence. He's criticizing his arrogance. It wasn't wrong for this man to plan for the future It's just that his plans didn't include God. Next slide. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The key here is not just to sit here and say greed is bad, greed is bad, greed is bad. We are to be rich toward God. So I want to close by leading us to respond in two ways in light of today's passage. So next slide. So the first thing that I want us to do as a church is to talk to your soul about Jesus. In our passage, this rich man spoke to his soul about money. I want to turn this around for us. Speak to your soul. Talk to your soul about Jesus. Say to yourself, soul, Jesus is yours. Jesus is your wealth. Jesus is your source of joy and fulfillment. Jesus is your riches. Money doesn't give you comfort. Jesus does. Money doesn't secure your future, but Jesus does. Money doesn't give you power and significance and identity. Jesus does. Jesus is your treasure. And for us, throughout this retreat, as we're following Jesus, to speak Jesus into our soul with regard to our finances. And with that, number two, treasure Jesus and prove it in your giving. Treasure Jesus. Matthew 6.20 is a wonderful verse. It says, but lay up your treasures in heaven. 
And Jesus says in Matthew 6.20, don't treasure earthly things, treasure heavenly things. To treasure something means to fill your heart with the beauty of it and to center your life around it. The gospel is that treasure. Jesus himself is that treasure for us. And what's beautiful, and all of you know this, is that Jesus regarded us as his treasure so much that he would lay down his own life and he would purchase us. And so you don't need to buy and own and possess things. All of you here at Graceway were already bought. All of you here were already purchased. You belong to him. And when he has you, you have everything because everything belongs to him. Everything that money offers, your need for importance, your freedom, your peace, your security, your sense of worth, it's all found in him. So treasure Jesus. In Matthew 6.21, there's a verse in the Bible that says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where you write your check, your heart will follow. When people begin giving, their heart follows. So your treasure doesn't just reveal your heart. In a sense, your treasure can also lead your heart. And so there's this saying, um, reallocating assets relocates your heart. Reallocating assets relocates your heart. And so whatever you start giving to, your heart will start following. Our family started experiencing this. I actually started experiencing this uh, when I was younger. Um, there was a ministry that uh, my youth group teacher, um, any, any youth group teachers here in this room, um, you could make a huge impact. My youth group teacher told a bunch of us, we were in uh, ninth grade, Uh, He said to us, today we are going to sponsor a compassion child. And none of us knew what a compassion child was. And he started talking about Compassion International and sponsorship. This was in the early 80s. And he said, we just need to uh, pay uh, $24 a month as a class. And we're all in ninth grade, and we said, we have no money. And he said, well, then you guys need to get jobs. So we all started to uh, uh, babysit. And we all started to mow lawns and rake, rake leaves. And we took turns uh, sponsoring uh, this child. And I still remember that child's name, uh, Ajis Sinta Perwanto. This is 30 years ago. And we all wrote letters uh, to this child, and we started giving. And the more we started to give, the more we started wondering more about this child. And... Uh, the country he was from, Indonesia. And um, afterwards, uh, I continued on with the child because we all graduated. And so I continued to sponsor the child um, until he graduated. And then afterwards, Compassion asked if I wanted to sponsor another child. And so I said, sure. So throughout college and grad school, sponsored another, and then another, and then another. And then my heart just grew for Compassion. And so when, we, when I came back uh, to our church, 
I asked our church if our church would consider um, creating a, a formal partnership with Compassion International. And so they said yes. So now we send teams. Two years ago, I was able to go with my own family, um, my three kids, my, my wife, myself, and a team of, of several others from our church went to Peru. And we got to uh, see what was going on with compassion in Peru, and people started sponsoring kids there. But if you ask me, where did it all start, this heart for compassion, this heart for child sponsorship, I would say it started in that youth group classroom when a teacher asked us to give. And it was in our giving that our hearts started to grow, and the heart for our, our church started to grow. Reallocating assets relocates your heart. So if there are any of us here who are wanting to have more of a heart for the things that God is doing, start giving towards that. Then you'll start naturally wanting to find out more about it. Then you'll naturally start wanting to get involved with it. And so if whether it's something that you do here at, at Graceway, or it's with a friend who's going to do something for God, and you want to be a part of that, then do this. For my wife and myself, um, at our church, we believe tithing was a practice that was prevalent in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's more of an emphasis of generosity. But for my wife and myself, and we share this uh, just openly, we know how, how greed blinds us. And so for us, we use tithing more as uh, an accountability, giving 10% of our gross income. And we know that knowing ourselves, we would rationalize that, that giving amount to our church in different ways. And so we hold ourselves at least to 10%, and we push ourselves to go beyond that. And for us to give, not out of duty, out of tithe, but out of a sense of generosity. And so I want to share this message with you, and I would love for Grace Way to be rich towards God, not to be blinded by greed, but to be, of, if at all, blinded by the beauty of Jesus, and in doing so, be blindingly generous in our giving, and in this place, follow Jesus. So with this I wanted to ask if you could look up uh, here at your, I'm sorry, look at your booklet. I have some questions that uh, I prepared for you. Um, and Yuna and, and the retreat team graciously put this here. If you look at uh, today's small group, there are four questions that we wanted you to process through and unpack through in light of this morning's message. Number one, how did your family grow up viewing and handling money? Uh, so much of how we view money is, was really influenced by the way we saw it handled growing up. Uh, number two, what is it about the sin of greed that tends to blind us in general? Why is it that um, greed just, just slips underneath the radar and just impacts us in different ways? Number three, in today's passage, we learned about three deceptive lives of greed, lies of greed. How does greed deceive you? What greed lies do you tend to believe, right? Those three lies, remember, they were, um, the more I have, the more I think it's mine. The more I have, the happier I'll be. The more I have, the more control I have over my future. 
Is there one of those lies that you believe or that you still hold on to? Number four, how can you follow Jesus with your finances and be more vigilant against greed? Just take time to share and to hear from each other um, ways that we could follow Jesus more and more with our finances. But can I pray for us at this time and we'll have time to discuss Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our treasure. Your son, who is of greatest worth. Father, you are our portion and our inheritance in this life. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price where we would give up everything so that we could have this pearl with great joy, giving up everything so that we could have more of you, your kingdom, your reign in our lives. And now, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes, that we would be able to see areas of our lives where we have been deceived or where we have been darkened in the way that things or our finances have owned us, possessed us. And we pray that you would now speak into our hearts through your word, by your Holy Spirit, and even through one another and help us and teach us to become a people who are generous and gracious, that we would be quick to see the needs of others around us, that we would be quick to let go of things that we own, for the sake of those around us. Give us wisdom. Help us to have the faith not to hold on to things, but to hold on to you. I pray for brothers and sisters here in this uh, congregation that they would be people of great wealth and influence so that they would be able to influence more for your kingdom. That there would be greater leverage for your kingdom here within this congregation. So with this, Father, we pray for your blessing upon our small groups and our discussions. And Father, any other conversations, decisions, and, 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 and uh, discussions where we talk about finances here, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go into a time of small groups. So I'm going to release you guys by groups so you can figure out where your 